Have you guys ever watched uh, a good movie or maybe a t- TV series where it goes back and forth, kind of in time? I, I recently started watching this, uh, The Shrink Next Door, and it starts kind of in the future, and then it goes back to the present, and then it goes to the past. And, um, you know, Advent is kind of like that. It begins in the future, right? It begins with the second coming of our Lord, and then on the second week of Advent, we go back to the past, to the announcement of and the prophecy about John the Baptist and his birth, right? And then we flip forward uh, into the future, uh, bef- you know, after the birth of Christ, into the actual ministry of John the Baptist when he's an adult. And then today, we come back almost to what you might think of as the present of Advent. It is the last moment before the birth of our Lord and Savior. And today, we are going to talk about this moment, this, what we call the visitation After Mary has received the announcement, she goes to her great aunt, Elizabeth, and they have this wonderful encounter where this beautiful song comes out. And it almost switches in some ways from like being a movie to being like a musical, right? It's almost like Hamilton, where suddenly you find out the true nature of the character through a song, right? And it's such a beautiful way of presenting it. And in some ways, like narrative and dialogue sometimes doesn't do us justice, right? Sometimes we need beauty, we need art, we need poetry to just nail down exactly this wonderful, mysterious, beautiful thing that God is doing. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning. Before we look a little closer into this encounter of Elizabeth and Mary, I want to just a moment... Uh, talk about our posture as a church as we enter into the sacred mystery of the incarnation, right? Like we have been preparing now for four weeks, getting ready for Christmas, and we're finally there. So I want to say a moment about our posture. I don't know if you guys know this, but the incarnation and the resurrection are at the very center of the Christian faith. These are the mysteries that we hold most dear. These are the mysteries that define us. And what I would say is we're not only talking about the incarnation at Christmas and the resurrection at Easter. I would say every single sermon that we preach here, at least the good ones that I preach, are all about the incarnation and the resurrection, and they're all about the implications of of those things, right? It's like, how do we live in light of the incarnation and the resurrection? And so I would say all year long, we're talking about that, right? Like this then is how we live. But what I would say is, as we get closer to the mysteries themselves in the calendar, as we get to Holy Week, and as we get to Christmas, it becomes less about, this is how you need to live then. I want us, in a sense, at this point, we begin to just stop and stare at the mysteries themselves. In other words, it's a moment for us to recapture the wonder. I don't know if any of you guys have had an amazing opportunity like this, but I was very fortunate in undergrad uh, to study abroad for, for a summer, and uh, we went to Paris for a couple of weeks. And so I was taking a class on art history. It was a class on the Impressionist, right? Great, great thing to do. And before we got there, we had a textbook, right? And in that textbook, there were some pictures of these famous works of the Impressionist. And then, of course, that book also provided us with some historical context for kind of the world in which they were writing. And then it also pro- provided us some relevant biographical material, right, in that book. And that was really great. And you could learn so much from a book like that. But then there's the moment in which you actually enter the Musée d'Orsay, right? Not too far from the banks of the Seine. 
and you're standing before the, these masterpieces, right, done by Degas or Monet or Renoir or whoever it is you're looking at, and all of a sudden, it's time just to take a break from all of that other stuff, and it's time to just to stop and stare at the masterpiece itself, to stop and stare at the wonder. What I'm trying to say as your pastor this morning, I feel like the job of, of the preacher in this season becomes less of a kind of spelling it all out for you and almost more of like a liturgical tour guide. We're sitting here and we're just saying, look how wonderful this is. Like, look at God and look at what he's done. And I want us just to take some time to begin to stop and stare at the mysteries themselves. These mysteries can produce in us the same reactions they produce for those in the story. As we contemplate the mysteries, we too are filled with wonder and with joy and with praise. And so the Virgin Mary has received the annunciation, the announcement that angel Gabriel gave to her that she will conceive a child when the Holy Spirit comes upon her. And so right after receiving this good news is where our gospel reading picks up this morning. Mary goes quickly to her aunt Elizabeth. Elizabeth has been barren her whole, her whole life, and now she is way too old to bear a child. And yet, as it has been revealed to her and also revealed to Mary by the angel Gabriel, Elizabeth too is with child. God has brought about the impossible and so as Mary walks into the door of Elizabeth's house, the baby in her womb leaps with joy. And I've got this, we might have soon, this amazing visitation icon up on the screen. And I love this icon. It's one of the more kind of weird and wonderfully bizarre icons we will ever see. In some of our public debates, we have asked the question, when does life begin, right? And we could talk about that. But I feel like this story of the visitation su suggests that perhaps a better question is, when does ministry begin? You see, friends, the ministry of John the Baptist begins in utero. His entire ministry, his entire calling is about pointing the way. His entire ministry is about saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you see his ministry starts right here in utero. It turns out John the Baptist points the way to the Messiah, to his own mother. These two women who should not be bearing children, one is too old and barren and the other one is a virgin. It recalls the story of Israel's matriarchs who were too old and barren to to bear children, and yet God made a way. So you might remember the story of Sarah, the wife of Abraham, or you might remember the story of Rebecca, the wife of Isaac, right? In both cases, they were barren, unable to have kids, totally impossible, totally unlikely. And yet somehow God made a way. At each point, as the story goes through, the question arises, will God's promises come true? Will God provide offspring for Abraham in this seemingly impossible situation? Will God make a way for his family? Or will the people of God disappear from the earth? 
And this morning, Luke is reminding us this morning that the God of Israel is the God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. The God of Israel saves his people and keeps his promises by giving birth to women who have no natural means of conceiving. And so I want us to take a moment to stop and stare at this great mystery. Let's take a moment to wonder and praise our God. He is the giver of life. He makes a way for his people. He furnishes the way for our salvation. His good promises come true in the wombs of matriarchs. Some of us here as parents, we are wondering this question. How are we going to raise up Christians in a place like Atlanta in a time like now? I don't know about you guys, but for me, sometimes the task can feel impossible. It can feel like an unlikely task that we have been given. Our culture can seem so unhospitable to certain acts of the faith and certain values that we hold so valuable to us. Indeed, the passing of the faith to the next generation is an impossible task. But this morning, Elizabeth and Mary are here to encourage us. We serve a God of the impossible. God will raise up offspring for Abraham where there seems to be no way. Sure, we do our part, right? We instruct our kids in the faith and we do our best to demonstrate the way of love and godliness. But ultimately, we are reminded this morning that salvation is God's work. It is the thing that he does. The first mystery we are pondering this morning is that God is the God of the impossible who makes the way for our salvation. And then back into the story, the baby leaps, and Elizabeth exclaims with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? You might not realize it, but there is a reversal of status here in the story. Elizabeth is older, so she would have had higher status by virtue of her age, but she is also in the priestly class. Mary is not. And so you had things like birth order, you had things like age, you had, you had things like wealth, and like, so social economic status, but then also priestly status. And so there's no way that Elizabeth should be speaking these words, but because of the sign that has been given to her, suddenly the Holy Spirit comes upon her, and she can say to Mary, blessed are you among women. And then Mary has her Hamilton moment. She breaks out in song. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is there great things for me. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the powerful from their thrones, and he has lifted up the lowly, and he has filled the hungry with good things, and sent the rich away empty. Friends, Mary is a teenage, pregnant, peasant from the wrong town, on the wrong side, 
of the empire. Now, some of you guys know me. I'm from New Orleans, and it's got some great things about it, and, not, and some things that aren't so great about it. Um, not as much economic opportunity there as here, probably not as much educational opportunity as well. But if you were to live there for a while, you might notice, like if you're listening on the radio or something, that there's a part of town that is often the butt of jokes. It's this part of town that's called St. Bernard Parish, and I am from this part of town called St. Bernard Parish. And people from St. Bernard Parish, they tend to be less educated, tend to be kind of working class, and kind of what you might think of as less cultured in the high culture sense. And growing up there, I can tell you it's true what they say of us. But what you might not realize, even if you were there, is that within St. Bernard Parish, there is a part of town, a little town called Violet, that people look down on even if you're from there. It's even less cultured, even less educated, and the crime is even higher there. And I am from that town. (laughs) I am from (laughs) Violet, Louisiana. It's a place that is the least of the least of the least. Helps me to relate to this story. You might not know this, but if you were uh, some kind of, uh, if you were some kind of, um, you know, government official and you were given an assignment by Rome, you would not be super happy if you were sent to this far away outpost that we know today as Palestine. But even if you were there, there would be some nicer places to live, maybe in the city in Jerusalem or maybe in the Decapolis where they kind of had some nice restaurants, you know, and some nice things coming in. But the least place you might ever want to find yourself is in a place like Nazareth or Bethlehem. Mary belongs to this marginalized people And she lives in a forgotten corner of the Roman Empire. And within that people, Mary, even within that very forgotten people, Mary would have been considered of low status. She's of the peasant class. And now because of the purity culture, she would have been looked down on. She has conceived the baby out of wedlock, would have made her status even lower. And yet... As she walks in the door, Elizabeth, full of the Spirit, can say to her, blessed are you among women. In other words, compared with all the other women of the earth, you are particularly blessed. And how is it that a girl from a place like that could be considered blessed over other women? How is it that generations will call her blessed How is it that a girl like her will become the most well-known and most honored woman of all time? So that 2,000 years later, we can go in almost any corner of the earth and find an image of Mary, and we could show that image to people in the street, and they would say, oh, I know who that is. That is Mary. As we close this morning, I want you to ponder the mystery and praise God for his marvelous ways. He shows his strength by bringing down the powerful, by lifting up the lowly, by filling the hungry and sending the rich away empty. The mighty one has done great things for a woman living on the margins of a powerful and wealthy empire. Salvation is coming into the world through the person from whom we would least 
expect it. God is establishing his kingdom on earth through the weak and the humble and the poor and the lowly. Amen.